After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the UFC. Download the DraftKings app, use the code CHAIL to get in on all the action. Speaking of action, there's a whole lot of it coming up this weekend at UFC 268. I'll talk about that later. But we have to begin by running through all the biggest storylines from UFC 267, which was an incredible event. There's so many things to talk about, so let's get right into it, beginning with the main event. How many of you really thought Glover was going to win? And as this fight was getting closer, I wanted to really do my part. I've, I've had time with Glover, I've been in Glover's gym. Wanted to do my part, as limited as that was, to make sure that we didn't buy into the narrative that, boy, you, you, you sure came a long way. 
42 years old, and golly, you, you were the number one contender. I wanted to put a little bit of pressure on Glover. Did we, you did not come this far to only come this far. And Glover versus Jan, if you look at them on paper, or you even go watch their last five fights, it's the same guy. They both do well what the other one does well, not to mention the conditioning, not to mention the ability to have ice running through their veins. If there was anything that we all learned when Blahovich fought is the Adesanya, it was how calm Jan could be in those high-pressure moments. I do think that's relevant because one thing that you will be deceived with with Glover, maybe I had insight from training with him, he can wrestle. Glover Teixeira can wrestle in good position. He knows how to get his, his knee under his chest with his head up. That's a big deal. I see a lot of MMA guys that try to learn wrestling without actually being competitive wrestlers. They got their head down. They get, they get a hold of the legs. They do everything that a good wrestler does, but they can't finish because their head's not up. Their knee's not under their chest. They're not in good position. They can't lift. They can't drive. When I watch Glover, he knows how to wrestle. I saw that in the practice room, but I was also armed with that. And I've also seen all his fights over the years. He knows how to wrestle. just doesn't always do it. Maybe you want to see some good wrestling, good mix-up by Glover, heavy hands, nice double legs. See his fight with Rampage Jackson. So we... Many of us knew this weapon existed. Is it good enough to pull out? Is it sharp enough to pull out? Is it good enough to win against Blahovich? And a reasonable person would come to the conclusion, no. No, it's not. 42 years old over a guy that just took out Adesanya dominantly. No. Turned out, bad bet, right? Turned out there's a reason DraftKings doesn't just mail out the checks. They wait till the contest is over. And to see Glover pull that tool out, look, if you think Glover won a world championship by getting a rear naked choke, if that's what your eyes told you, you got a son at home that wants to be a fighter and you're hitting rewind to show that choke, stop. That choke sucked. And nobody was more surprised that that choke worked to win, a, win the fight than Glover. That choke was not designed to win. It wasn't even applied right. It wasn't even on. Blahovich was done. Blahovich, who proved in the fight with Izzy Adesanya, that the lights aren't too bright, felt too much pressure. The strikes that Glover hit him with, the domination that Glover was showing, if you ever find yourself in a fight that's harder than you thought it was going to be, things unravel instantly. And we saw Blahovich unravel. That's not an insult to him. Blahovich is a fantastic fighter who will be back, absolutely. He will be back in championship matches, absolutely. But he got frustrated and he got smothered, and he was getting dominated, and he was getting fatigued at a higher rate than his opponent. He found himself in competition that is harder than he thought it was going to be. Glover Teixeira is now the champion of the world. I like everything on the table. I like everything on the table, including retirement. I would like all options looked at by Glover. I have had enough. My dream is fulfilled. Thank you and goodbye. I will not predict for you there's any chance that that happens. I think Glover's going to want to fight. His contract's going to be beautiful now. A fight with Raychik is going to be beautiful now. A fight with Igor Prokayev is going to be beautiful now. In terms of the participation, in terms of the attention he's going to get, in terms of the fun and the media that builds up to it. As, as good of a time as Glover's had, he hadn't experienced anything yet. Not like what, what he's about to go through. Retirement is not on the table. I would like a good look given to it. It won't be. I won't get my way on this one. And as far as Glover immediately calling out Igor Prokayev and saying this is the direction I'm going to go with Rachik waiting in the wings, right? I mean, some heavy lifting to do. Some heavy lifting to do. We got a new champion in town. Glover to share two things, my friend. First off, happy birthday. Second, congratulations, champ. So those were my immediate thoughts from the main event on Saturday, and yes, I was outside. So I apologize for the noise that's also present in this piece about the fighter who has taken the MMA world by storm. Of everything that happened, which includes Glover Teixeira being the oldest champion ever to capture his first belt. Chemayev was the story. There's a big message in this as well. Let me break the Chemayev match down. Getting behind a guy in less than 12 seconds, picking him up off the ground, and then having a dialogue with Dana through the fence. Is that unsportsmanlike? Mm, yeah, probably. It probably is. 
there's another side to it which shows the level of confidence, right? It's one thing to appear confident. It's why you're bang your chest in the media and I'll fight everybody and I am gangster. That's one thing. When you're live in battle and you don't know anything about your opponent other than what you felt for less, right? For less than 12 seconds and you're already making the decision that I'm in complete control. Chemayev is winning ass whipping contests. He's winning fist fights without throwing any fists. I mean, that level of dominance is something that we rarely see. We've never seen, could you go that far? The most dominant fighter in the history of the sport is Khabib. Evident of the fact that he has more 10-8 rounds than anybody in history, right? So those numbers let you know. But if you look at Chemayev, four fights, two of this weight class, two of this weight class. Daniel Cormier was the announcer last night. He threw out a stat I had never heard. He said, in those four fights, Chemayev has only been hit once. What? I didn't know that. And now that I think about it, I, I don't know where he was hit. It must have been Gerald Merchant, right? Merchant must have touched him somewhere and they called it a hit. Or it was somebody on bottom flailing and one got through. Point is, that's domination. And when you have that domination mixed with that level of confidence, mixed with a willingness to go out there and compete, I think if I could have anything from the Chamaya victory, it would be a lesson to the rest of the guys. Nothing has corrupted this sport more than the rankings. And the only person dumber than a fighter, in all fairness, you guys know you're dumb, is your managers, right? The dumbest, lowest form of our society is the manager. And the manager will sit there and tell the fighter not to do something because it doesn't make sense. And he'll, he'll think he can prove it. Open up this page and show you what the ranking is, show you what this guy's record is, what your record is, what you're being paid, what he was paid in his life. I mean, they'll bring all these numbers into it to strengthen their case. There wasn't one thing about Shemayev taking on the leech that made sense. Nothing. Nothing would have fallen into any category that any of you guys use to get out of doing something hard or that your managers do to try to get you out of doing something hard. And it would be very different if you were just looking for an excuse. If you're looking for an excuse, I'll keep my mouth shut. Fair play. You're not looking for an excuse. You're genuinely that stupid. There's nothing for Chemayev to take on the leech. I don't call him the leech because I really like his nickname. I call him the leech because I don't know what his name is. I know that's condescending. I get it. I'm not looking to be condescending. I'm not looking to give the leech a hard time. The leech is a very tough guy. He was 12 and four going into that fight. He showed a real courage, even hanging in there and absolutely never tapping. The leech is a stud, but I don't know his name, let alone his rank. I don't know what else to call him, but the nickname. So there was nothing going into that for Chemayev that made any kind of sense by your standard. Chemayev comes out of it as the biggest story of the night. There was two title fights that night. Chemayev comes out the biggest story of the night. You go out there and you get a win when you can get it. You then grab a microphone and you use the platform. That's what you get. Same thing as you've always gotten. And the guys that make it to the top and the guys that get on top and the guys that are at the top hour of Sports Center just do that and nothing else. And when I tell you this was the lead story, that is according to ESPN. ESPN will start the show with the lead story. They started it with Shemaya. In front of two world title fights, a guy who fought a guy whose name I don't know, and I still don't know it. I don't think that you guys know it. In all fairness, I highly doubt had a ranking. I wouldn't know if he did. Don't know where to find him. It made absolutely no sense. That guy that went out and did that, what he was asked to do on TV, grabbed a microphone and got more of a bounce than anyone else. There has to be a message in that. There has to be something within that that you understand. And I'm appealing to you, the fighter. I'm going to the second dumbest group I know. I'm going to you. I'm only going to you because the dumber group is your managers, and I can't go to them. Fight the fights that you're asked to fight. When somebody in the second office of the UFC... Do, should we start at the beginning? Do you know what UFC stands for? The Ultimate Fighting Championship, a business located in Southern Nevada. Do, you've heard of this? When somebody on the second floor there thinks something makes sense and they call you, they think it makes sense so much that they call you to do it, that's your cue that it makes sense. Do you want to be like Chemayev? I am very confident in telling you guys today, Chemayev, in a maximum, is one fight away from a world championship. There is a scenario right now where you don't fight him at all. You put him in a world championship against either Colby or Usman, and nobody complains. Nobody says that's not right. It's food for thought, and it's something to consider. There's a major lesson in this. And if you think the only thing you can take away from Chemayev is what a double leg is or how to sink in a rear naked choke, you're missing what's right in front of you. You're missing the Chemayev story, and you're missing that in front of everything else over this weekend, he is the top story. 
So Hazmet Shemaev put on another dominant performance. And not long after that, so did Islam Makhachev. I'll talk about him later in the show, but before that, let's talk about the war that Jan and Sandhagen had on Saturday. Corey Sandhagen versus Peter Jan. Guys, here's what happened. And you must hear me out on this because I've never seen Corey Sandhagen look so good. That was awesome. It really was. You always want to hear, or you're always forced to hear, about a guy with a reach advantage. We can't get around it. Whoever started the tail of the tape all those years ago doing height and weight and reach, it just, it worked. And it stuck with us, but you always hear advantage. I think if you took, and I haven't done this, but I think if you took 50 fights at random. Now, we know full well somebody's going to have a reach advantage in every fight. So 50 fights at random, and then computed who won more, the guy with the reach advantage or the guy with not. Not only do I not think it's close to 50-50, I'll bet you it's about 80-20 against the guy with the longer arms. Mike Tyson, by example, never had a single fight where he had a reach advantage. Not one, that's literal. You ever think of it like that? Mike Tyson never had a height advantage and only eight times in his entire career, that includes the amateurs, only eight times ever did he weigh more than the opponent. It's one of those things where why would it be an advantage? Why would it be an advantage to have longer arms? And the guy that likes to bring you that stat then likes to tell you if he can keep him at the end of the punches, oh, let me guess what you're going to say next, if his opponent can get inside and work the body, right? I mean, it's one of these things. You can never get around it. No matter how silly it is, why do I bring that up with Sandhagen? Because Sandhagen is on the list, a very short list of five guys. You got guys like Corey Sandhagen, you got like John Jones, you got Izzy Adesanya, you got uh, John Jones, did I already say John Jones, Anderson Silva, and you got to go all the way back to the 80s, all the way back to Thomas Hitman Hearns, to find somebody that had a meaningful reach and knew how to use it. That's where the problem comes. You, get, you ever see those tall guys that are walking around, but they don't want to be a tall guy, so they kind of hunch over a little bit? You seen that? Guys are the same way. Instead of enjoying and celebrating their height, they get that way with reach. They don't want to be able to reach out and touch it from across, so they start using elbows, or they start boxing inside. They just don't know how to use the arm. Sandhagen does. And Sandhagen, I've never seen Sandhagen get bested on his feet. I don't think that you have either. Corey Sandhagen on his feet is a bear absolute problem. From an X's and O's standpoint, Corey was switching from southpaw to orthodox, southpaw to orthodox, more than he ever has in another fight. It was one combination switch, and that would include defensively. If he was orthodox and defended a combo, he was he's now southpaw. He will defend a combo, he's back to orthodox. It was incredible. And that's only going to buy you a beat. That's going to buy you a tenth of a second. And I can remember in wrestling, because there's a lot of things where you can freeze your opponent for a tenth of a second, or he can freeze you. Roy Pittman, my coach, I was nine years old. He was given a talk about a tenth of a second. And a lot of, a lot of guys, even the older guys, were brushing it off. Oh, what's the difference? Tenth of a second. Blink of an eye. I remember Coach Pittman said, you don't think that's a long time? Coach Pittman said, I want you to go home. I want you to turn your stove on until it gets red hot. Then I want you to set the side of your cheek on there for a tenth of a second and then tell me that's not a long time. So every time there's a beat at a tenth of a second, it's against Yawn. Yawn has to do the geometry. Okay, he's leading his left leg. Here's what my options are. Okay, he's leading his right leg. Here's what my options are. He's constantly resetting. And Sandhagen was picking him apart. Sandhagen looked fantastic, not just for that first round, for two and a half, three minutes of the second round. It was This was the Sandhagen show. And I really think I need to bring you along this journey of just how good Corey looked. Even in defeat, how good Corey looked. Or you can't appreciate what Jan did. Right? It's, it, he can't have looked great unless his opponent did. Jan had to figure out. First off, when you start getting picked apart, you start to fall apart quickly. You take a couple of shots in the nose, you take a couple in the face, and you throw air balls back, it is extremely frustrating. And then you start to do what's called taking inventory. Okay, we're three minutes into the fight. There's 22 minutes left. He's hit me eight times. I've hit him one time. And you start doing the math. Oh, my God, I'm going to get hit 400 times, and I'm only going to land three strikes. I might as well quit now. Like, that will actually go through your head. You will have fighters that have to go out there and fight with themselves just to stay in the match. Yawn, stayed in the match. And the scariest guy is whoever can go harder, longer than the other one. 
A combat athlete's biggest fear is not going into battle. It is not failure. It is exhaustion. His biggest fear is that he will reach a level of fatigue where he can't finish the match. Or he can't follow the golden rule, which is to protect yourself at all times. That's the biggest fear. And the real scary ones, the real greats, I'm talking the greats. I'm talking the George St. Pierre's. I'm talking the Randy Couture's. I'm talking the Kamara Usman's. They all found a way to weaponize pace. That's the only commonality that they have. Izzy Adesanya gets thrown in that list. In all fairness, it's not, oh, this guy's got the longer arm, or this guy's more dynamic, and he'll kick you in the mouth with his foot. They can go harder than the opposition. They found a way to make a weapon out of conditioning, and I saw that with Yawn, and it was honorable. It was extremely honorable the way Peter Yawn was getting lost in that fight and had to refine himself. Was losing moments of that fight. Lost the first round. Hey, God, I thought he lost more. I wasn't positive who won this fight until Bruce Buffer announced it. I really wasn't. Were you? I was not sold that it, it, Corey didn't win. Then I find out all three judges have the same, which is four to one. I start texting some confidants, some people that I trust in this space. That no, Nobody agreed with me. They're all saying, Chael, you, I don't know what you were watching. They even asked Corey Sandhagen that question after the fight. Daniel Cormier said to him, do you agree with the decision? Corey was cool. Corey was, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I realize old Chael's got to wash the dirt out of his eyes. I must have seen it wrong. I'm only speaking to that, not to rehash the victory, but to tell you how well Corey did. Corey did great. And what about these new takedowns that Corey's bringing out? You guys have only seen Corey have one problem. Until this fight, we've never seen Corey get bested on his feet. This fight was, content, it was 25 minutes. It was 23 and a half on the feet. So we got to, okay, Peter Yan did a better job with the strikes. Great. But Corey Sanhagen said, and I'm quoting him, my wrestling sucks. No, 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 Corey. Your wrestling used to suck. That is not suck wrestling. That was pretty damn good wrestling. Getting into those positions, keeping your hips in, keeping your chest straight, keeping your head up. You cannot do that without an immense amount of practice. He could get to the leg. He could even get to the body, but not with his hips in and his head's up driving across. That is practice, 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 and I could tell he'd worked on some stuff. He's getting better. Corey Sanhagen is getting better. He was absolutely the right guy for this job. And now you got to look at Yon, because everything I just said about Corey is true. And you'd have to be a fool to then not come to the conclusion that as great as Corey did, Yon did better. For Yon to know where he was, for Yon to push the pace, Yon was not ready for those takedowns. He had to figure that out on the moment. None of us were. None of you were. I wasn't. None of us have ever seen Corey do that. That includes Yon. Element of surprise. Very real thing in the art of war. But it wasn't the case. It wasn't the case in that Peter Yon fell apart. He knew where he was. He scrambled. He had to work hard. He had to get that heart rate up. But he fought every single position. He came from behind. That is official. It's four rounds to one. All, all three judges. But they all gave Corey the first round. So he, Yon had to come from behind. And nobody knew what the score of that match was. I really did think this could be two apiece. I really thought that. John Annick said something that there's only been two clear rounds, one and three. Who knows what happened in two and four? I agree with that. Th this was even four to one, even if that was perfect, 5-0, whatever you want. They were close rounds. Every so, it was so competitive. All the way to the very end. Sanhagen gets hit. He's hurt. He knows the bell's about to go off. He sprints and jumps into the air trying to throw a Hail Mary pass. I mean, come on. These guys did so good. This was an instant classic. Aljo watched it. Aljo weighed in. I believe Aljo's doing a show on YouTube. He's got a show somewhere. iTunes, YouTube, something like this. But he weighed in and he was very complimentary of Jan. And Aljo even broke down what he did. Talk about him parrying, talk about him firing it back. He saw some tendencies, but he was complimentary of them. What do you make of that? I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good for Aljo. For Aljamain Sterling to be able to identify accurately what his opponent is doing well, that's a good sign. You always have to say something bad about your opponent. You have every right to go out there and tip your hat where it's due so you can get in the gym and you can work to counter that. And I will tell you, a lot of people like to talk about how that fight was going. That Aljamain Sterling was falling apart and Peter Yan was coming on. I saw what you guys saw. But I think you need to back the tape up a little bit. Because Sterling was doing just fine early on. 
he ran into a bit of a wall. There was a fatigue there. And I just bring that to you because if Aljo knows what we all know, the big secret, right, that he got a little bit tired, he's got time to fix that. He's got time to fix that. And if you go look when they were both at their best, the first five minutes, the first eight minutes, when both guys feel good before the fight starts, it's an athletic competition. Aljo can beat him. Aljo can beat him. He's going to need to learn these things. He's going to know need to know what I just said is accurate, but I also can see what Aljo said is accurate. With the parries, with the good stuff of Yawn, with the counterfighting, with his ability to get inside. I don't know that Sterling knew what a hard fight he was going to be in the first time. I think he is fully aware the second time, not to mention he has time. It's a very different fight. And then you get TJ Dillashaw going to be coming off knee surgery. TJ's already back in the gym. TJ Dillashaw makes that whole division very exciting. 135 pounds is very good hands for now. I've never seen it a more healthy 135 pounds, though. Can we agree on that? Who's going to fight who? When they're going to fight them? Who's the top contender? If you're having that kind of argument discussion, your weight class is in a good spot. 135 right now is in a fantastic position. One of the biggest storylines coming out of UFC 267 is Islam Makhlchev's dominant win over Dan Hooker, which I got to admit, I did not see coming. I'll talk about that next, but first a word about today's presenting sponsor, DraftKings. The first time Usman and Covington met in the octagon, the battle lasted five rounds. This Saturday at UFC 268, $5 can net you $200 with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. That's right, new customers can bet just $5 on either fighter to win $200 in free bets if they do. Can the Nigerian Nightmare hold on to the welterweight title or will Chaos claim it? Bet just $5 on the UFC 268 main event and win $200 if your fighter wins. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code CHAIL. Throw down just $5 on the UFC 268 main event and win $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code CHAIL this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of UFC. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit for free bet promotion. One bet per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Islam Makhlchev, where does he go from here, guys? Right? And where he goes from here when I ask that question, I'm talking about from a tactical strategic standpoint. And Islam works with one of the most tactical strategists in the business, Ali Abdelaziz. But the problem today does not change from a week ago, which is how do you get on the docket with one of the stars? 155 pounds has some stars. Justin Gaethje is a bona fide star. Go see the numbers of UFC 246. Michael Chandler is a bona fide star. Go see the numbers of his last two events and watch the interviews afterwards, of which are captioned online and have an exact audit for you to view. It's one of these very tough spots. Dustin Poirier, for all the wonderful works he's done, but plus two on Conor McGregor is an actual star. Charles Oliveira is in high demand. And he doesn't even have to fall into that category because he's the goddamn champion of the world. He's the main event any way you want to slice it. How do you get on the docket with a star? It's very different than how do I get on with the top 10 guy? How do I get on with a tough guy? And when you start to break into the top five, you only need one. If you're ranked number six in the world, just by example, if you beat anybody in the top five, that's all you need. A number four ranking gets your world title fight. Don't be lost in this number one contender's business. When's the last time you saw a number one contender who was actually the number one ranked guy? And I know you could give me examples. I, I'm aware that it happens. I'm just sharing with you. Now you're in the conversation. People love to say MMA math doesn't work. MMA math is an extremely real thing. And if we have a common opponent and I beat him, I just beat you. 
at least in an argument, which is all I have to be the victor in to get the contract. So it's a it's very relevant point of what does Islam need to do? How does he get on the dock and how does he get one of these stars? It was very cool what Tony Ferguson did. Tony Ferguson did this for Charles Oliveira. Tony was one of the stars, got up in the loft, dropped the ladder down behind him so that Oliveira could climb up. Oliveira never fought for a world championship, never won a world championship, never was a main event if it wasn't for Tony Ferguson. And I don't know if Oliveira really understands that. Charles Oliveira is a veteran himself. He deserved, he qualified to be further along than he was. I don't question that, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Nate Diaz did the same thing for George Masvidal. George Masvidal was a journeyman, and he was a tough guy, and he was gaining some steam. He threw a knee over Askren. That gave him a big bump. But when he threw that knee over Askren, he wasn't the main event. He wasn't even the co-main event. Just by example, that night, he's never been anything less than a main event since, but he needed Nate. Masvidal does acknowledge that. I read an interview by Masvidal or listened to it where he said, I will give a rematch to Nate anytime because of what he did for me. But that's a street guy. Street guys follow a different code, the right code. They had fathers and they were raised the right way. They understand quid quo pro, which you should never have to apologize for. And they understand the value of having a favor and the need to return the favor. So, how does Islam break into a top five? Well, it's kind of already began. Justin Gaethje, who never says boo about anything, spoke up pretty heavily over the weekend. Justin Gaethje is getting ready to go do battle with Chandler in what many of us believe is the number one contender's fight. Right? Many of us are looking at that, particular if Gaethje wins. That would draw him right back in to either Poirier or Oliveira. It would be very exciting. You'd have a little bit of parody there. And all of a sudden, Islam comes riding in on a six. He's got Daniel Cormier backing him up, saying, oh, no, 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 that was it. That was the number one contenders match. So you have Justin, of course, responding to it. I only bring that to you because Justin knows what he's responding to. He's not just responding to Daniel Cormier in his opinion. He's responding to Islam. He's the first guy to ever speak up that wasn't all pro. Oh, let me get out of the way. This is Khabib's guy. Showed a little courage for himself. Showed that he's got a little bit of grit and a little bit of fire still in the belly. So possibly that's the answer. Possibly Justin Gaethje's your guy. Don't forget, it doesn't matter if Gaethje beats Chandler or not. If Islam can get into the top five, Islam can go and fight for the belt. That's the piece that everybody wants to miss. Guys don't even know how the goddamn rankings work. If you were a top ten guy, you will only fight guys in the top ten. If you are a top five guy, you will only fight guys in the top five. And at any point, you are eligible to go and fight for the belt. The rest of the guys, guy on the regional circuit with a dream whose name didn't get written down on this, as John Jones called it, silly little list, you have to fight everybody else. You don't know whose name's going to call him out of the hat. you got to be ready for anybody at any time. You're a top 15 guy. You're anybody. You can be ranked in the top 15, fight a guy on his debut that's never been in the organization. You qualify for nothing. Top 15 does not count. Top 10 is all that counts. And if you can get to the top five, you kind of got your marching orders. And I only bring that to you because that's all the further he's going to have to go. If Gaethje gets beat, Gaethje's still a top five guy. Gaethje's going to want to get back on the horse, I would imagine. Go through Islam, come right back in. I mean, they're partners. They both have to have something. It's a very rough game. All chips are in at all times. It's a very rough game, but make no mistake, we're still partners. you got to bring something, I'll bring something, winner take all. And no, there's no part of me that guesses that Gaethje, with a victory or without one, goes into Islam, but he's the first one to start speaking about it. I'm just speaking purely to what Islam needs. Islam doesn't need another win. He doesn't need another beautiful increase on his record. He doesn't need anybody else to come out and speak on his behalf. He's got to get on the docket with a star. So let's stay in the lightweight division because, guys, we have an insane matchup coming up on Saturday that I'm excited to see live and close up. Gaethje and Chandler. How fun is this fight, guys? I mean, when some fights get announced and they bounce off the page, was this one of them for you? Because it was for me. It was almost too good to be true. And something has been going on with Justin Gaethje. I can't give you any better than that. 
I can identify it. I'm going to speak to you about it now, but I don't know what to make of it. I mean, look, let's back up to the ninth that Gaethje loses the strap to Khabib. Khabib retires. Just by default, as well as good sense, that makes Gaethje the number one guy. He just was the number one guy. He can't beat this guy. Well, this guy's no longer doing it. Okay, it comes back to you. But for some reason, we don't like to do that with number one contenders. Once you get that shot, you then just get shuffled and you got to go to the back of the deck. It's just something we as a fight community, boxing, same way as MMA, we like to remove the number one contender, but it's a unique spot when the number one contender, who truly was the number one contender, is now the last man standing. It's very different when the guy in front of you retires and walks away. It then makes you the guy, right? Well, no, not in this sport. Did it happen within this situation? Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler, those were the chosen ones. Off they go. But it was because Gaethje was so quiet. Between the night Gaethje lost to Khabib and about six weeks ago when his fight with Chandler got announced, Gaethje was silent. There was rumors going around that he was dealing with USADA. That was not true. I came to you guys and I told you those internet rumors are absolutely not true. There was nothing going on here, but I had nothing to tell you he was doing. He was just quiet. Gaethje's even done a very good job over time of going to his social media and of posting workout videos. And you know that they're very authentic because one of the most recent ones that I saw was Gaethje versus Kamara Usman. Right, a dream. A dream match, even if it's a workout. Gaethje filmed it, Gaethje posted, and if you wanted to know who got the best of who, it was Kamar Usman getting of Gaethje, but I liked that. If Gaethje's willing to film it, he's got to put it out the way that it happened, or he never should have had his friend in the corner turn the iPhone on in the first place, even if it doesn't go his way. I thought it was a really good look, really good look into the camp. And within that room, in that specific video, if you can recall, you had Trevor Whitman, whoever was holding the camera, and you had Gaethje and Usman. It was a real private workout. I've seen guys get better during the pandemic. I would argue that with all of city kickboxing, as unhappy as they are with the rules and the things that are going on right now, I believe that entire team has gone up a step. I don't know what's going on. I watched Corey Sandhagen get better in his garage. I watched Max Holloway prepare with absolutely nobody for Calvin Cater and go and put on the best performance of his life. I'm seeing guys getting better, focused, doing less, possibly recovering physically, possibly being a little more fresh mentally, but I'm seeing them get better in these very small and very intimate settings. So to stay focused on Gaethje and where in the hell has he been? So that, that that's step one that I've identified. It's just he went quiet. Number of guesses as to why that happened. The internet rumor and him having something, stop. Not, that was not true, and he did not deserve that. Secondly, what goes up must come down. When you go and fight Khabib, the most famous and popular Muslim athlete alive, when you have presidents of countries coming live to watch and support you, in all fairness, whatever you do next, it's going to come down. Gaethje could have won the strap. He could have moved on with the belt. Whatever he did next was going to be less. So now you have to dig deep. Do I want to do this? And how bad do I want to do it? And what if it doesn't work out? I may not even return to the high that I'm on right now, which isn't as high as I once was. It's just an internal thing. It's usually done subconsciously, but we, the audience, can sit back and we can see who's going through it. It's somewhere along the way gets announced by Dana that Gaethje might not fight at all. He might just sit out and go take on the winner, meaning his next fight's going to be for a championship. So the first time we finally hear something about Justin Gaethje, it's a major positive, right? Everybody loves Justin Gaethje. Insert Michael Chandler. These two killers have to fight. These are the same guy. They have had the same career and the same path. They got in the UFC a little bit later in their career. I watched Gaethje take out more men in the World Series of Fighting than I can count and then I can keep track of. Seven, eight, nine. I watched Chandler go win championships in other organizations. Fight and defend championships, headline shows, sell out arenas. When they both get to the UFC, they both had a real base behind them and they both got a major bounce. I mean, they really, on their first fights, whether it's Michael Johnson, whether it was the Hangman, a major bounce, and now they found each other. One mistake that Gaethje and Chandler are making together 
And these guys are partners. Don't forget. You can't ever forget that concept. The guy you get in there and fight is your partner. Now, you have a very cold relationship. He's going to bring everything he's got. You're going to bring everything you got, and all chips go in. One of you leaves with it all, and one of you leaves with nothing. But you got to make sure that your partner is bringing something that you, in fact, do want. Because both of these guys, and if they continue to slip through the duration of this week where media is going to be in an absolute premium, the only one to win is going to be Islam Makhlchev. I'm hearing both Gaethje and Chandler defending their fight as the number one contenders. There is a rule in politics. If you are explaining, you are losing. They do not need to defend. They do not need to keep anything away from Makhlchev. Makhlchev's voices are getting louder. They're a very small group in comparison to what they're going to see at the Garden. Makhlchev's a very good fighter. He never fought for a world championship. You both fought for the world championship. Go in there, get your status back, and go get your belt back. That's got to be the story. But how do, you, how do you build a bridge? How do you build a bridge from one narrative to the narrative where you need this to stay if your partner's out doing equal media and he's not? He's explaining, which means you both are losing. How do you do it? Well, it's a game. It's a game. But the first rule to any game is you must learn the rules of the game. Even if you plan to manipulate them, you must know what they are. And bringing Islam Makhlchev, leading Islam Makhlchev have the shine. I wouldn't be talking about Islam today. I am the number one influencer in MMA, and I've said Islam Makhlchev seven times today, which constitutes six more times than I've said it in the last two months. But you guys let him in. Gaethje and Chandler have let Islam into the conversation and into the dialogue. They need to close the book on this guy. That's what they need to do as partners. And it doesn't do me any good if I'm the red corner to set the table if my partner's across town on a different radio show going against my narrative. Partners need to be on the same page and there's a rule in business. If two guys always agree on everything, one of them is not needed. So Gaethje and Chandler will face off at UFC 268. A fight card headlined by Kamara Usman and Colby Covington, which, as you guys might remember, was the best fight I've seen in the welterweight division. And to head into this fight, there is one question floating around my head that I want to ask you. What is at stake for Colby Covington, in all fairness, right? Because we, we only look at the one side, which is victory. And I'm sure that's the only side that Colby, or Team Colby, has looked at. Is victory. Of which I would imagine is a trilogy fight. Right, it can only go one of two ways. Colby either beats Kamar Usman or, or he does not beat Kamar Usman. If he beats Kamar Usman, I must assume it's going to be the trilogy fight. I think that Usman would demand that. I think if Colby is to beat him, guys, I think, I think we're meanest, dirtiest, hardest fight. I think we're going to see that again. I predict that they're going to have wrestling by both guys. Colby is going to attempt wrestling. He will probably only attempt it once, particularly if he fails. Throw that strategy out. At some point, Usman will attempt the wrestling. Usman would prefer to get Colby's back up against the fence, start to drop there from body locks to singles to doubles. Go from there. Usman is very unlikely to ever go back to his wrestling if he does not succeed the first time. I'm just predicting for you that both of them regret having not tested that water in their first fight. I believe that. And I believe both of them are fully committed to testing it this time. I also think they both are very confident in themselves. When's the last time you've seen somebody stuff Colby Covington's takedown? When's the last time you've seen Kamara Usman's takedown be stopped? For some reason, they both had such a respect that they threw it out, and I'm going to guess for you they don't do it that time, this time. So, what if the other side of the coin, what if Colby gets beat? Very tough spot. Colby is simply not going to return to a world championship fight if Kamara Usman stays at the throne, period. You do not lose twice and then get a third opportunity. And don't think you need to correct me and tell me that's exactly where Max Holloway is headed with Volkanovski. Yeah, I, I got it, but give me one other example. That one, first off, hasn't even happened yet. But secondly, when it does happen, it will be unprecedented. It has simply never happened. There was a boxing one that went this way. It was Juan Manuel Marquez versus Manny Pacquiao. And Manny beat him and beat him again. They did fight number three. They did a fourth fight. 
Manny won all three. The fourth fight, Marquez gets all jacked up on steroids and knocks Manny. Not only knocks him out, knocks him out of the ring. But I'll share with you how uncommon this is, and I will tell you that that's not even a talking point here because if Colby doesn't win, he does not return to a world championship. So now you have a young man who has worked his entire life for one thing, which is to be the world champion. He had his guidance. He had his direction. The reason you never go to a smut site and see something bad about Colby Covington unless Colby wanted it to look bad and produced it himself is because he's a great guy. He doesn't get in trouble. But the reason Colby's a great guy who doesn't get in trouble even back in high school and college, I knew his teachers, I knew his professors. They all loved him. He turned his work in on time. He was there. He listened. He paid attention. He played the game. But the reason he did all of those things was because he wanted to be the world champion. He just had too much focus. Kobe did not have time to go out. Kobe did not put his let his hair down. He went from one practice to the next. He'd go home exhausted. He'd recover, get up the next day, do it all over again. And he's done this since he was a little boy. If you think about it in those terms... And then you have somebody take the only thing he's ever worked for, world championship, the only thing he's ever dedicated, focused, or thought about in each waking moment, and you take the opportunity away. Hope is a very real thing, guys. If you take hope away, which is what would happen if Colby loses, he can no longer hope to be the champion. He will not even get the opportunity. It is massive. I think it's a positive. If you're Team Colby, I think it's a positive. I know this guy very well. He does his best work when the house is on fire. The more pressure, the better with this guy. But make no mistake that that is what he's up against. And I've looked at different possible scenarios for Colby. Going up to 185 pounds now. He can't do it. Doesn't have the height, doesn't have the size. Going down to 155 pounds. Believe it or not, going down to 155 is more likely than going up to 185. He can't make 155. He didn't weigh 155 his sophomore year in high school. He's a perfect 170 pounder. He's exactly where he needs to be. He is amongst the greatest to have ever done it. He happens to be in there with the current pound-for-pound king. This happened to Daniel Cormier, guys, not once, twice. Two different walks of life, two different sports, two different age groups, two different weight classes. Daniel Cormier, in any other era, would have been an NCAA champion. He happened. I could pull out a calendar and I could tell you all the places that guy with that skill set, Daniel Cormier, wins the NCAA title. He happens to be the same year, in the same weight class, within the same sport, as the greatest to have ever done it in Cale Sanderson. Cale Sanderson never lost. He was on the cover of the Wheaties box. He went on to be the Olympic champion. He is currently the highest paid coach in all of wrestling, anywhere you want to go, which includes foreign countries. Nobody makes more annually than Cale Sanderson. And this is who Daniel had, happened to have for the fa- uh, finals. Daniel switches sports. He switches weight classes, MMA. He runs into John Jones. I could take the skill set that Daniel brought to the fights with John Jones. I could get out a calendar and I could show you all of the nights and all of the contests where that would have won you a world championship. But he ends up being in there with the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time happened to be Daniel's time. Happened to be in the same sport. It happened to be his weight class. Well, what do you do? No one's ever complained. Daniel's never explained to you guys what I just said. Daniel doesn't accept that as okay. Daniel went out there and tried to beat him. Did everything he could do, and Colby's doing the same thing. Timing very much matters. If you guys are amateur wrestling fans, you're seeing it right now with Kyle Dake and Jordan Burroughs. Whoever gets out of the country brings home the big shiny medal, but one of them is getting left behind. Same age group, same weight class, same sport, same era. It's very fascinating because I'll hear people argue this on all levels within sports. I, I have heard the argument between who's better, LeBron and Jordan. I have never heard that argument made by anybody where they don't start bringing up resumes. They don't start talking about all of Jordan's rings versus LeBron's. That should never be what it's about. If you're asking who had the more beautiful career, that's a completely different conversation than who on their best day was better than the other guy on his best day. 
It's really remarkable when you think about it like this. And it's not as obvious, and sport is not as obvious as it appears. It gets a little bit more complex. One of my favorite football players, one of the guys that I just personally thought was fantastic, is a guy named Steve Young. Steve Young's career was very short because he was on the bench behind Joe Montana. I believe Joe Montana to be the greatest quarterback of all time. To the point that I find it silly when people try to bring up Manning and Brady. I personally find it silly. It is Joe Montana. You want to know what? John Elway gets in there somewhere, but then you got Steve Young. Top quarterback of all time. Couldn't even get off the bench because he sat seven years behind Joe Montana. So when Steve Young finally gets to be the starter, he didn't have as much left. He had a great career. I think you guys would agree. But I believe he's a top three of all time with Montana being one. So what do you do if you're Colby and you have everything taken away from you? You happen to be at that opportunity. What do you do? I don't have the answer to this. It's a very tough spot. Colby is such a fighter. He's so driven. I imagine he gets up the next day and he pushes forward. If you can't get what you wanted, you go get the next best thing. I imagine that will be Colby's spot. And there's many things that can come up. And Kamar Usman's not going to just stick around and be here forever. He's only got one thing left to do in the sport, which is to convince people that he's better at the sport than George St. Pierre. There is nothing else within the sport that is even on the table for Kamar to achieve. But I also can't imagine that Colby Covington gets up keeps his fingers crossed that some guy in front of him retires. It's a tough spot. Now that I have your attention, I'll tell you the good news. Colby Cummington does his best work when the house is on fire. So I'll talk much more about Usman Covington 2 on Friday's episode, but to close out today's show, I want to talk about Hazmat Chemaev again because his name is being floated around to fight with a UFC superstar. And I think a lot of us don't quite feel how I feel about it. Nate Diaz, Hazmat Chemaev, what do you make of this? I mean, what do you make of that? Where's your temperature? Because I'll tell you, I'm nothing more than a fan. I'm in the same spot as you guys. And I felt a little bit bummed. I came down a little bit because I thought we were going to have Ferguson and Nate. I thought that that's the direction we were going. I got a source. My guy Tommy told me. I spoke with Nate, knew that's what he wanted to do. He made that public so everybody knows what it's what he wants to do. Tony fired back. Boom, seems like we were going to have a fight, right? And there is something where these guys are on very similar paths, and these guys offer something that they bring to the table that very few athletes have, which is nostalgia. Two veterans, two fan favorites, similar paths, ultimate fighter, similar backgrounds, black belts in jiu-jitsu. So many things that are the same. So many things about Tony Ferguson and Nate Diaz fighting that I stand back and go, what do you mean they've never fought? These guys never met up. Did they grapple somewhere? Did they used to train together? They're both in California. I mean, in all fairness, you're telling me that Nate and Ferguson have never touched one another? Tell me more. You have me cured. How could that happen? I've sparred with both of them. I live in a different state. I'm two weight classes different. I mean, in all fairness, we all cross paths. You're telling me that these two, you're telling me the state of California is big enough where these two never met up? You have my attention. So a lot of things that I was very excited for. And what are you trying to get out of it? Like, what, what are you trying to get? What is your agenda? And very seldomly do you get to disclose that and then get it your way, right? I mean, it's one of the arts of the deal. You got to keep your business, your business. But this Nate one seems to be very in line with the rumors that came out online. That Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul. Nate, go get free. Dana confirms Nate's got one fight left on his contract. So if these rumors that we've been told are all true, and I have no reason not to believe them, that makes a lot of sense to me. I get that. But if that is true, and Nate's number one objective is to get that fight done, right? Just like in high school, get that paper turned in, get it to the teacher. Expediency matters here. To hell with it if I get an A or to hell with it if I get a C. I got to get this paper. I got to get it to the teacher quickly. Okay. Then let's have a real hard talk because anything can happen in those fights. Does Nate Diaz get more of a bounce or take more of a hit? Same question, just which which side of the coin do you want to look at? Beating Tony Ferguson or losing to Hazmat Chemaev? 
if Nate is going to want to be free, to want to go and do this Paul thing, to get this paper turned into the teacher, expedience is the key. Does he take a hit getting beat by Chemayev? Does he get a bounce beating Tony Ferguson? I'm asking you. Because I've never seen anything that Nate Diaz has done ever that's hurt him. Ever. I could not give you one example. I know he was not happy to lose his fight all the way back to Benson Henderson for the championship of the world. I will share for you, it did not hurt him. As a matter of fact, he had much bigger fights later in life. He lost to Leon Edwards. He won two seconds of the fight. He claimed that that's the only two seconds that should have been judged, and people gave him a standing ovation. And he made me think. In all fairness, Nate made me think. He goes, well, it was the high spot of the fight. The high spot's the only part that generally matters in a fight. I won this fight. Okay, did he? Maybe. Maybe he has a skill. He has an ability. I've never seen anything hurt him. And going into that fight, what all could he get out of Tony? And I'm asking you the question. I don't want to answer this, but let's look, let's look at the good and the bad. He's either going to win or he's going to lose. Pretty straightforward. Now you want to get more extreme on that? All right, he's either going to dominate or he's going to get his ass kicked. I mean, is there anything that you could look at any way that he comes out where you're not still very interested in Nate Diaz? Tough question. How do you see the future, right? There's no crystal ball. How do you know? But with Nate, does it matter? The most fun I have ever had at a weigh-in in my life was in California, and it was Nate versus Pettis, and they were not the main event. The heavyweight championship of the world was contested. The most fun I have ever had was Nate Diaz in California at that weigh-in versus Anthony Pettis. I have never been in a weigh-in that had that kind of energy in a building. That building was absolutely packed. Okay, great. Well, a number of weigh-ins get packed. Yeah, that's true, but these fans waited in line. These fans sat down an hour early to make sure that they had their seats so they could cheer for Nate, who made weight earlier in the day. It was nothing more than ceremonial. They're not going to hear him talk. They're not going to see him fight. They want to look at the man. And he sold out an arena. That is incredible power. That is really quite remarkable. He then goes into Madison Square Garden. He sells that out with a record gate for that venue. He goes into to Arizona, sells that venue out. There was two title fights that night. Nobody got a bigger reception. Nobody got a bigger pop from the crowd than Nate Diaz. So we've never seen anything hurt him. Let's say he fights Chemayev. Let's say he not only loses Chemayev, he gets mauled. It looks like Nate's only part there anyway. I mean, it looks like he's thinking about doing this boxing thing. I can't confirm that to you, by the way. But I believe it. I saw the rumors. I saw where many of the, the pieces started to come into place. I believe it. So if what we're looking about is to get this paper turned in, get free expediently, that's what you have to offer, and you got to put something else, which might be an ass-whipping. I mean, in all fairness, there's no promoter in the world that allows a guy to go out on top. That would never happen. Even if you're writing the script, even if you're Vince McMahon, you never let a guy leave with the shine, but in Vince's world, no guy would ever try to do that. They will always put the other guy over because somebody else did it for them. That's the way that that business moves forward. But I only share with you whether it's scripted or whether it's unified rules. The principle is the same, which is I have an obligation to my guys. And if you're on your way out and not going to be one of my guys, then I have an obligation to this person. That'll never be spoken. No promoter's ever going to use the words that I just said, but we understand it, right? So we understand where Chemayev and shining this guy up, we understand these things. So let's just say that Nate, who's only got half his mind in this sports anyway, is going to come in and fight a guy who's won more fights than he's ever been hit. You guys aware of that on Chemayev? He's won four fights, he's been hit one time. That is a crazy stat. I'm just asking, if you were to look into the mythical crystal ball that we don't even have, is anything going to hurt him? Is there any scenario where Nate goes backwards? Is there any scenario where Nate, even if he's going over to the boxing world with Paul, is not a massive, must-attend, must-see event for you, the fight fans? Very hard to actually know the answer to that question. Very hard. But it's still the question. And it's still what's going to have to be weighed. It's going to have to be weighed back and forth. Nate did everything right. 
He saw Tony. He thought that match made sense. He knew you guys loved it. He understood the style. He did everything right. He tried to get that fight. He tried to steer his own career. Nate did everything right, but now we're in a different situation. Sometimes two plus two is not four. Nate did everything right, did everything right. Two and two together, it doesn't equal four. He tried. He's now in a different situation. That situation is Chamaya. And all we're attempting to do today is to guess. And if we were to guess, is Nate going to say, yeah, bring him on and bring him on quickly? Because my goal is still the same, which is to fill my contract and go look for another one. It's fair play by all involved. But what do you think if you had to predict, is Nate going to accept the fight with Jemaya? All right, guys, that is it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts, find your welcome, and leave a review. Like our friend Wizard, who says, thank you for the hard work. I love the show. No, thank you, Wizard. And thanks all of you. I will be back on Friday to talk everything UFC 268. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.